Psychology is a force that impacts all of us. Do you know anyone that is not in some way dealing with struggles of the human condition? The therapy industry, medication, is a trillion-dollar industry. Even if one is in denial, they're still dealing with psychological issues. But what exactly is psychology? Did you know that there are over 45 different psychological schools of thought? 45. From Freud to Watson to Adler, Jung, Frankel, and many others. How are we to make sense? How are we to make heads or tails in something so critical, which is understanding who we are? Psychology, after all, means the study of the soul. Some call Freud the father of psychology. But he's been debunked, but he's still, in many circles, the one to disagree with. You may be surprised to know that around 250 years ago, was a man living in Russia who developed a most comprehensive blueprint, psychological blueprint for life that integrates the best of all the psychological schools of thought and offers us a new model. So please join me in this talk, The Psychology of Tomorrow and discover a new way of looking at yourself, at your potential, and how to forge ahead and carve your destiny to be the best you can possibly be, to control your demons and to transform them into assets that will make you grow and actualize in ways that you could never have imagined. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and we will be discussing the psychology of tomorrow. A model for life as we forge ahead into the 21st century. This program is dedicated by Vanessa Dvorn Fremont for her birthday, 14th of Kislev, and a merit of a complete Rafur Shlema for her dear sister, Dvora Basara Basha. Psychology is a force that impacts all of us. Whether you call it by that name, which you may be interested in knowing, psychology means the study of the soul. We all have a soul. Psyche. Personality. So it affects all of us. As a matter of fact, it is who we are. It's the study of who we are. How many people go to therapy? We have no idea but it's definitely large numbers. The pharmaceuticals, the medications that people take, for good or for bad, to deal with anxiety, stress, other challenges in life. 
to try to relieve some of the existential pain that we experience. Traumas, loss, other feelings that we deal with and contend with. It's definitely a trillion dollar industry. Because again, it's talking about who we are as people. But what exactly is psychology? Did you know that there are over 45 psychological schools of thought? So the most famous ones we know, Freud, Jung, Adler, Watson, Frankel, and many others. And each has, no doubt, truths that resonate, that work. But at the end of the day, it's man's search, the human search for trying to understand something that's invisible, which is the soul, which is who you are, what makes us tick. I would like to introduce to you something that you may never have heard of before. A man who lived 250 years ago and developed, and I will say it without hesitation, the most comprehensive of all psychological models, and hence a model for the psychology of tomorrow. This man was called Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi. That's the town in which he lived, in white Russia, what is known as Belarus today. And he preceded all what we call today modern psychology, which is around 100 to 120 years old. But when you study his insights and his approach, I'm not here to prove anything. You'll see how it resonates. And above all, provides us with a real blueprint, with an approach to life. Why do I speak about it now? Because this week happens to be the 224th anniversary of his liberation from prison, where he was wrongly accused for whatever reason, but then vindicated and became the leader that he would become. The sad thing is that most people have never heard about it. When I say most people, I mean on earth. But when you begin to learn and study his teachings, it will revolutionize how you look at yourself and the world around you. So I'm going to sum up in a few key points, main, three main points, his psychology. We'll do a little contrast to the others, just to give it flavor and give it uh, perspective. And context. So let's take the Freudian model, where the id is the driving force, the pleasure principle, especially sexual. That's one of the reasons some of the detractors who began being students and disciples of Freud went off, because they felt he was putting too much emphasis on that biological element. Adler, for example, focuses a lot more on social conditions, Jung on spiritual ones, Frankel on meaning in life, others on behavioral, others on functionalism, cognitive. I mean, as I said, so many different schools of thought. The id, which essentially, especially when you combine it with some call it the Freudian Darwinian model, is about me, 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 survival of the fittest, even though Darwin didn't talk about it psychologically or socially, but they call it social Darwinism. The survival of the fittest. 
Classic example, two guys go camping, middle of the night, one wakes up, he hears a beer rustling about. He wakes up his friend and says, we got to get out of here, there's a beer here. And while he's telling him, he's, his friend sees that he's tying his shoelaces on his sneakers. He says, why are you doing that? You think you can outrun the bear? He says, no, all I have to do is outrun you. So the classic, first is me. If you serve my needs, great. How many theories today are established on the biological, genetic, in the words of Richard Dawkins, the selfish gene? And even altruism and kindness is all because that makes me better. More likely that I will survive when I have cooperation. Whereas if we're at each other's throats and we kill each other, it's not good for my own selfish needs. So selfishness dictates everything. Not quite so romantic, but this is a very prevalent theory. I'm not going to say everybody goes by it, and I'm sure there's variations. But all you need is that title, the selfish gene. Not the selfish person, not the choice, the gene. Because the rule is, I need to survive. I need to perpetuate. And everything will be defined by that. Now, there are very far-reaching implications when you have that type of psychological standard. At the end of the day, what can you really expect from someone? Yes, you can expect there'll be green lights and red lights superimposed, or in the words of Freud, ego, superego, to keep the id, the wild id at bay, so we don't just kill each other, and we don't just completely follow our, our whims and our desires. But what can you really expect deep down? If someone's, God forbid, tortured, or in an avalanche, or dying from hunger, they will turn to cannibalism. We see that. So there's even evidence of showing that people will stoop to levels they would never even imagine. No one should ever be tested. But what does that tell us about the human being? That we're essentially animals, evolved animals. Push comes to shove. We will resort back to our primal instincts of survival. And as I mentioned, and even the things we do for others is part of an extension of our own survival. What does it say about love? Is there such a thing as selfless love, as unconditional love? In that context. But as I said, I'm not here to debate the issue. I'm not here to make a case. I'm just presenting as it is. Schopenhauer, for example, when he describes love in this context, he said the whole thing is a myth. It's nature's trick to get a male and female to breed. But when it became a mutation because it became too complicated. Courtship, dating, let's go out to eat, a drink, a museum, a restaurant, all that is unnecessary. Just breed, perpetuate the species, and that's that. He completely strips it of anything romantic or sublime. Now, of course, Jung approached it from a more spiritual perspective, which resonated with many. Viktor Frankl, logotherapy, man's search for meaning. Meaning is the ultimate drive. Not sexual pleasure, not pleasure. What does Rav Shneer Zalman say in his classic work called the Tanya? And of course in his elaborate writings and discourses that he delivered over the years, sums up human psychology in three key points. 
with the risk of oversimplifying, because it's obviously much more complex, but three key points. Point number one. That self-control, human self-control, is inherent to the human condition. It's not, it's not acquired. This goes direct contrary to Freudian thinking and others that think that way. Contrary to the selfish gene. Yes, of course there's an element that we all have, the need to survive, the need to fight for ourselves, our egos. But even without the ego, the need to take care, protect ourselves. But there's another voice inside us, what he calls the transcendent voice, the divine soul. And that is driven by a very different uh, power. It's not about me. It's about serving something greater than myself. And as such, self-control, therefore, is inherent to the human being. Because if you were to say, for example, that we're just animals, and then we impose upon ourselves control simply to coexist and survive, let's be honest. Anything inherent is always going to be more powerful than something that's acquired. But to say that self-control is also inherent tells you that you are expected. You can discipline yourself. You can control your desires. You can control your impulses. So basically, as he explains it, the human being has two voices. The selfish voice, we'll call it the id, fine. And the selfless one. And they're in battle. But they're both part of who we are. And the true essence of who we are, which is point number two of the three points, is that good side within us. So what's inherent in us I'm going to redo this whole piece. So three points that Rabbi Shneir Zaman, or the Alter Rebbe, as he's known, makes. Number one, that we are inherently good people. Number two, that self-control is not acquired, but inherent to the human condition. And number three, that the very ego that can be the root of so many of our problems is actually rooted in the divine ego, in the divine essence that is completely independent and not need, not, does not need anyone. And let's elaborate. In the Freudian model, as we mentioned, the driving force is my needs. So Rabbi Shneir Zama will say, that's part of who you are. But there's another part. Inherent to you is also a transcendent voice. A voice that seeks to fulfill a higher purpose. That seeks to fulfill its mission. That is selfless, that is noble, that is giving. And yes, there's indeed a battle, a perpetual battle between two of these vo- both these voices, but they're both part of who you are. But overall, and above all, the most powerful part of who you are is the good part. 
So the id is one part of our consciousness. But if you dig deeper, there's that divine aspect, that transcendent side of us. It's point number one. Point number two, self-control. In the Freudian model, self-control is a superimposed entity for coexistence and not killing each other. But at the end of the day, if you have something that's inherent and something that's acquired, in other words, you teach people self-control and discipline, but what's inherent is my needs, we all know who's going to dominate ultimately. Says Rav no. Self-control, one of the words he uses, in chapter 12 in Tanya, is inherent to the human condition. Just as the mind has that power to discipline, like we see people when they put their mind to something, even though you may be hungry or thirsty or other things, you put your mind to it, you can't control yourself. You're not just a creature of impulse, a creature of habit. Because it's part of who you are. And therefore, what's expected of you? <laughs> it's a whole different reality. It's expected of you as the highest. And point number three is perhaps the most revolutionary of all. You know, most of us would say the selfishness of a human being, the fact that I come first, is the root of all problems. But it's who we are. Says Rabbi Shneir Zalman, the fact that you feel self-contained, that you don't need anybody. Even though you have parents, you don't feel you're an extension of them. You don't feel you were created by anybody. You feel that you are who you are. You may have gratitude, you may have appreciation to others, but at the end of the day, you're the self-contained entity in feeling, not we're talking about intellectually. So he says that is rooted in the divine ego, so to speak, in the divine essence that is, a no, is not in need of anyone. That the creator is not just another entity. The creator is a necessity, is an essential truth. And that essential truth imparted an essential truth to each of us, so we feel that we're essentially important. Now, if it goes the wrong way, it can turn into arrogance. It can turn into haughtiness. It can turn into all types of ways of hurting others. But if you appreciate the root of that sense of independence, it's coming from the independent divine. So the challenge is how to make sure to harness and channel it as part of that divine plan. That again is up to us, and we have the self-control. So when you take together, you combine together all these different three elements that I said, the inherent good who we are, the inherent self-control that we all have, and that even that part that can be ugly is actually rooted in the, in the divine independent sense of self, how does that this, how does that conclude in what the picture of the human being looks like? That we are essentially beyond the angels. We have free will. But we have the capacity to reach the greatest heights because we are essentially divine human beings. We are spiritual beings on a physical journey, not physical beings on a spiritual journey. And definitely not physical beings on a physical journey. The implications of this are also far-reaching because it's a direct contrast 
I use Freud as an example, but even some of the other schools of thought, though there are similarities, as I mentioned, there are commonalities. But this takes a whole different way of looking at the human being. You are essentially a piece of the infinite, of the eternal. Yes, infinity in the palm of your hand. And eternity in an hour. Infinity packaged in a finite human being called you. In the words of Michelangelo, when they asked him, how do you sculpt those beautiful angels in the marble? He said, I saw the angels trapped in the marble and I carved and carved and set them free. But this is even more than angels or flowers or music. It's an essential divine transcendent beauty that you are personifying, that you're manifesting. But it enters into a box, into a physical box, into a material box, into a human body, and into other drives, including the selfish drives. And there's the battle between the infinite transcendent you and the finite self-interest you, the egocentric or the divine-centric. This is the battle of our lives. But always remember, you have all the power because the inherent you is the divine transcendent. And then the day is more powerful. And thus, self-control is also inherent in you. So we're not asking you to do something that goes against your nature. It is who you are. Yes, you have another voice. So fine, that's what you need to contend and battle with. And finally, that very voice, even the selfish voice, is just a distortion. It's coming from a very powerful place. The ability to be you, uniquely you, has to allow you to be able to make a choice that will go and be selfish and hurt others, perhaps. God forbid. But on the other side, it means that your very sense of self, that independent self is coming from the divine, transcendent, independent reality. How does this translate into the psychology of tomorrow? Well, many things have changed in history. And one of them, maybe most dramatic, is the ease of living today, the standard of living. Very few of us are spending 9, 12 hours a day toiling under the sun in a field to be able to bring home a bushel of wheat or a pound of potatoes or rice to eat and sell the rest. Today with industrialization and then computerization and everything that is taking place, the standard of living is so high. What do we do with all this free time? We all know Adam Hyman Rickover, Admiral Hyman Rickover, gave a talk in 1957, I believe it was. He became the four-star admiral in the Navy. The four stars is the highest rank. Called the father of the nuclear, the nuclear Navy. He gave a talk where he shared this statistic, that in 1857 to 1957, in 100 years, in 1857, over 92% or 95% of energy was generated by human beings or animals. In, 1957, in 1957, most energy was being generated by fossil fuels, by machines. So this firstly explains the astronomic 
explosion of wealth, because those that control those machines, everything was so exponentially greater. But it also explains the, the birth of leisure. When humans had to toil, toil in the fields with little machines, you didn't have time. You didn't have any free time. You were exhausted by the time the evening came. What happened to all the free time that was freed when you now compress a button? You can just go online, order Amazon, and you don't even have to go shopping. So you would think the free time should be used for the most sublime, the most noble, and the most virtuous causes. Not necessarily. It gave birth to leisure. And leisure gave birth sometimes to the lowest common denominator. Because remember, we also have that other voice in within us. The psychology of tomorrow is taking Rav Shneir Zalman's fundamental principles and applying it to life. Where should our free time go? Toward the transcend, transcendent, toward the virtuous. And we indeed see the world has moved more humanitarian, more virtue than ever before. There's still a way to go. But that's the psychology of tomorrow. You want to be the fullest and the best person you can be. How will you be a happy person? When you feed the essential inherent soul within you, which is the virtuous soul, the transcendent one, the divine one. Yes, immediately, short-term instant gratifications may be more pleasurable to feed your own needs. But ultimately, long-term, and what has permanent and sustainable impact is that that divine soul. So the inherent part of you, that goodness, has been emerging and continued to emerge. So in the psychology of tomorrow, that will be the dominant feature in each one of us. Number two, the self-control. And self-control will not have to require just, oh, just imposing on myself. When you know that that part of you is who you really are and that makes you happiest. You see someone in a happy marriage with healthy love, self-control is easy for them. Not to say there aren't challenges. Why is it easy? Because they feel, they see the, they palpably feel the benefits. And they feel yourself being wholesome. It's like when you eat something that's healthy, you feel it. So you're going to be committed to it. And finally, even that ego, even that sense of self that makes us independent, which can go in the wrong direction, will then be a channel for the divine essence itself. Imagine a world. Just let's imagine. No, we like to imagine. Imagine a world where human beings are driven by these three principles and live by it. What kind of world would it be? A world where famine would be eradicated, war, avarice, hatred. Not because we aren't capable of that, but because when you allow your better angels to emerge, when you allow that inherent goodness to become part of your life, and you see what it does for you, you'll be the happiest person. There's less need. Is the insecurity and fear of life where you causes you to feel, oh, I'm missing something, so maybe that person took it from me. Creates jealousy, creates envy, and all the other vices. Whereas when you recognize that's so much part of you, and self-control is not just some type of, okay, here are the rules, but it's actually something you want to exercise. I want to be there for someone I love. Even though, let's say, it'd be more comfortable for me to sleep, but someone I love that wants me, wants to speak with me. You're there because you want to be there. And your very ego is also a divine ego. 
It's driven your unique self. You have something unique to contribute that's indispensable coming from that core source because you're not an extension of something else. You are who you are because you are manifesting the divine essence of the divine who the divine is. I am who I am, as God says in the Bible. A life like that, that's what we call utopia. But a utopia, that's not just sitting in a retirement village or on a beach. It's bringing, it's, it's bringing to the surface the best of who we can be, the best of who we are. Obviously, a topic like this, to do justice to it, requires a lot more. But I wanted to give a taste in honoring this great man, Rabbi Shneir Zalman. Study his teachings. Take these points to heart. Act on them. And you'll see that this is the true model, the true template for the psychology of tomorrow. So let's see this as like an introduction. And if you go to MeaningfulLife.com, there are many articles and top-end classes that I've given on this subject matter. My real dream, my real goal, is to turn this into a comprehensive blueprint, a comprehensive model, modality of the psychology of tomorrow that each of us can employ and use in all aspects of our lives, whether it's personal growth, whether it's relationships, whether it's marriage, love, intimacy, relationships with children, dealing with anxiety, dealing with the challenges of life, dealing with pain and loss, or dealing with joy. That this approach enhances, more than enhances, transforms literally every aspect of our lives. In some ways, my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, which literally covers every of the major milestones of life, is based on many of these principles. So check that out if you want more. And please join me as a partner. Let's develop a psychology for tomorrow, which will create a new tomorrow, of how we see ourselves and see those around us. In being the best we can be and even beyond. Emerging from who we are. Not something imposed, not something from outside. This has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center, MeaningfulLife.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts, feedback, suggestions, comments. And of course, please share. Let's create that ripple effect, that butterfly effect that affects all those around us. Look forward to see you soon again, the next program. Thank you. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.